0: This is Forum. I'm John Michaels, public affairs radio director, the longest-running, I guess, talk show host in radio Sioux Falls history. I, I uh, go back so far. I actually was the first manager of the KESD FM public radio station up in Brookings back in the 60s. We're going to be talking about something that I, I had A gentleman on about uh, the Catholic, or the Jewish community in Sioux Falls with the things in the news today. And we've had some other things as far as uh, homeless and that type of thing, too. But a lot of people don't realize, and and I didn't either. I grew up in Sioux Falls, that there was a anti-Catholic discrimination going on in Sioux Falls. And uh, I have with me John McLaughlin, who I guess you could could say you've been a senior professor. You've been in the Midwest, but you grew up where?
1: I grew up in Alabama. I, I grew up in, uh, my hometown is Guntersville, Alabama. And I was grew up there in the 1950s and 60s, a few years in high school in St. Louis, but then returned back to Alabama to finish my high school education and begin my college. So, I'm a native of Alabama.
0: Well, now, when you say being raised in Alabama, can we say that there was an anti-Catholicism still going on in the 50s there?
1: I think that's pretty fair to say, pretty easy to say. I don't think uh, Catholics would... Would dispute that, and I don't think um, even the uh, the Catholics antagonist would dispute that in the 1950s and 60s. It was a very different type of uh, environment for Catholics. Catholics, particularly the part of Alabama I'm from, North Alabama, is a very un Catholic place. Maybe 1% of the population is Catholic in that part of Alabama. South Alabama, around Mobile, is much more Catholic. It was, it was centered. It was settled by the uh, Spanish and the French, and there's a lot of lot greater percentage of Catholicism there. The North Alabama was centered was really settled by uh, after the Native Americans uh, were where they were pushed away by basically uh, English and Scotch and Irish as well. Not nearly as Catholic in the north.
0: When they say anti-Catholic, they, some people would say anti-Irish, too, I, I think, in some <laughs> places. A program a couple of years ago where I had a guy that gave us the history of the Ku Klux Klan here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, say there's some signs of the times Back, you know, 100 years ago, 1921, a Roman Catholic priest was assassinated by the Ku Klux Klan in Birmingham, Alabama, but a lot of people don't realize there was a Catholic priest assassinated, killed in Lead, South Dakota, in 1921. Again, that's over 100 years ago. Uh, Ku Klux Klan at that time marched through Sioux Falls in 1927. L. Smith was a Catholic, uh, Irish, Italian, German, uh, mostly voters considered him to be Irish, was running for president back at that time. And over 500 Ku Klux Klan members in Sioux Falls paraded down Phillips and up Main Avenue, actually went up to the Catholic Cathedral and pounded on the front door to let them in to make sure that they could look through all of the... Uh, uh, I, you know, aisles and, and rooms to make sure that the, they weren't stocking arms. They were afraid they were Catholics were going to take over the country back at that time. A priest was killed uh, by the Ku Klux Klan, actually, in 1921 in Leeds. There was discrimination, uh, you know, in South Dakota. We had a Claiborne, you might say, here. There was uh, discrimination against also the Chinese, who were laborers in the uh, mines and the railroads here also Jewish South Dakotans and Catholics, who documented gathering in Sioux Falls that led to uh, 500 members actually parading in downtown Sioux Falls. I guess through my own investigations, a little bit of that kind of trickled down into the 1950s, even here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We don't think of ourselves as being a place of the Ku Klux Klan. One of the comments that was made by some of the people I interviewed was it? we could tell by their shoes who they were so <laughs> having the uh robe and and hat on was not you know that uh, didn't mean that they didn't know who they were i guess in 1920s uh, just last week a catholic priest was killed in in nebraska just north of omaha and most likely that was a break-in i don't think it was maybe uh uh, hate crime or uh, discrimination, but I wanted to bring up the fact that uh, uh, I grew up in South Dakota in Sioux Falls, and I didn't know that there was such a thing as, you know, I, I grew up with John F. Kennedy, and you were uh, around at that time. Was uh, There was even a little talk about John F. Kennedy back at that time.
1: Good, good observations, John. I think, yes, you're exactly right about uh, Father Boyle, shot on his front porch at St. Paul's Cathedral in Birmingham, Alabama in 1921. He had baptized my mother. My mother was a member of the St. Paul Parish, the Cathedral of St. Paul Parish in Birmingham, born in Birmingham in 1921. Uh, he was shot by a Methodist minister. Uh, this was this is part of the history and culture, and uh, any any listener can look at al.com, which is alabama.com, and and read the history of this terrible tragedy. Uh, the Methodist minister took issue with the. Catholic priest, the pastor of St. Paul's Cathedral, because um, his daughter had converted to Catholicism, and um, Father Doyle had married her as a young adult, and uh, the Methodist minister uh, shot him in front of eyewitnesses, yet was exonerated in trial by a jury that consisted of a number of clientsmen and that uh, the minister himself was a clansman at the time. So that is a tragic, tragic story. I think things are much better today and things about the same time in the history here, John, in Sioux Falls, that um, we went through uh, a a Klan demand or pounding on the door of the Cathedral of St. Joseph. Uh, Also, as you said, the, the recent killing in Nebraska just what I can see in the newspaper seems like a, a very random act of violence, not a, an anti-Catholic uh, piece. And, and even in my small town, hometown in Alabama, uh, 20 years ago, our parish priest was was murdered. It was a, a random act of violence again. It wasn't an anti-Catholic piece. It did not even happen in the church or in the rectory. He was on the road when he met his uh, unfortunately and very very ugly death. Uh, but but so uh, it wasn't in any way what I would consider anti-Catholicism. But what you say, John, in, in the 1920s there was a tremendous amount of Ku Klux Klan activity, and and that was as part of the history. It's it's not a secret. It's well documented in in our American history uh, with large rallies in Washington D.C. of Klansmen in that era, and uh, Things like happened at the Cathedral of St. Joseph's and the tragedy of injustice and murder that happened in Birmingham in 21. Uh, I also, just as a, as, a, as a professor, a tenured professor of education law, enjoyed teaching the case of Pierce versus Society of Sisters, which came out in this era uh, of high cl- heavy clans activity, the state of Oregon, which we now think about as a kind of a a liberal hotspot, had a law passed at the state level that all children must attend public schools. They would not be allowed to attend Catholic schools. It was part of an anti-Catholic motion movement, and the, the plaintiffs in the case were the Society of Sisters that ran the Catholic school, and Hill Military Academy, which is kind of dropped from the uh, reference to Pierce versus the Society of Sisters. But it basically said, hey, we can't, you know, we can't be taken out of business. You can't just push us out of business because this law, which is against uh, church-state relations, and it's against religious freedom, and the Society of Sisters won that case. They won that case, and it's a very important case, because it It really established the ability, at the U.S. Supreme Court level, it said, yes, you can have a private school in America. Yes, you can have a religious school in America. And no, you can't limit that, no matter how many uh, anti Catholics you might have in your state legislature. Uh, But that was a very important case. But it's also, it happened, I believe, the year was 1923, so it's clearly in this era that you're talking about where these uh, unfortunate hostilities happened, Uh, and again, I I, I hope that they are behind us as a nation today and in our future.
0: Well, with the anti-Semitism surprising, I think many people, uh, to look at anti-Catholicism, I think, uh, uh, is tied in with that. Uh, The anti-Semitism is including kind of the the white uh, colonialism, you might say, in a sense, and kind of uh, uh, brings that with it. Uh, anti-Catholicism goes back to the uh, American uh, Revolution uh, as far as uh, many things going well. Of course, back to Martin Luther King and, and others. But the uh, the parochial schools, we're seeing more charter schools and more non-public schools today. But I remember doing uh, dances as the old disco on wheelers DJ back in the 70s and 60s, well, 70s and 80s, I guess you might say, at the Flander Indian School and the Marty Indian School down by Wagner. And had very fond memories of uh, uh, the uh, the schools and, and the bonding that uh, the students had with the uh, the Catholic Church uh, there. Um, oh yeah. But Absolutely. The, the Supreme Court, uh, you know, upheld that uh, that uh, uh, case back, you say, back 100 years ago. Um, they, people were saying that uh, it was anti-democracy, you know, but we're hearing some of the same words today. So I just want, want to bring back some of the history, because if we don't know our history, sometimes it repeats itself. Well, that's true. I mean, we,
1: we've had a, I, I think there was one, Catholic signer of the Declaration of Independence, John Carroll. Uh, that is the single Catholic signature. Uh, but there has been a you know, there's been anti Catholicism in our nation. We we go back to the Philadelphia riots of eighteen forty eight, which were about which had which had deaths on, on both Catholic and non Catholic sides in the riots there. Uh, burned churches, burned convents. Because of misunderstanding, because of of um, of 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 anger, and uh, that were terribly unfortunate. But it was part of part of this era when America was being a heavily immigrant environment again, much like we have today, and people bringing in different faiths, and now people of different color. Coming and and there's maybe a, a latent fear or suspicion that I certainly, wish there wasn't, that uh, we can maybe do a lot better at this time than we did during the immigration of the Irish from the potato famine in 48, 40, 1848 and forty nine fifty, uh, when when a large portion of my family came to the United States. Uh, I just hope you do a lot better, John. Yes. There's the, I, I see the fears of antisemitism and, and, or you see the rise in antisemitism, I should say. And I think that's a, a tragedy. I think we have just a few hundred people of Jewish faith in South Dakota, but, um, and I hope that we have a wonderful, non, nothing marking, no negativity in our state, but, um, uh, I think South Dakota's a pretty great place to, to welcome people, but you know, our whole history, even in South Dakota, is built upon taking things from other people. We took this land from the Native Americans. I just finished the book Thieves Row about uh, Custer's mission and to open the Black Hills in 1874, I believe, 1876, and and his, his plan to find gold there and help the country out of its national debt post the Civil War but it was it was terrible for the Native Americans it was just a, just a tragedy for the Native Americans what what was what happened to them and our our kind of our, our national pushing of them around and genocidal treatments so uh, it, uh, I hope that going forward in all countries with all races and all States that we've moved beyond that period,
0: that period of time. We, we would like to, but uh, as you just were describing, you know, the hate against a minority uh, people in South Dakota at that time was, was tremendously horrendous. Um, I'm taking information from uh, a Brad Tennant, uh, a professor at Presentation College, in, a, in an interview uh, by Lori Walsh, but. Uh, uh, The original incarnation of the Ku Klux Klan uh, after the Civil War was revived in 1915 in some states and formed chapters in the north, including South Dakota. Many communities had a local unit of KKK known as the Claiborne in Deadwood and Lead. They were fueled by the hatred of Chinese laborers who worked in the mines. The South Dakota Ku Klux Klan had extended beyond the Chinese laborers to African Americans, Jewish South Dakotans, and Catholics. And in 1921, a Catholic priest was murdered in Lead. And again, in Sioux Falls, we had 500 people riding horses, parading uh, through Sioux Falls, and then uh, going up to the Catholic uh, cathedral. Monsignor Delahoyed is the, uh, the one that actually told me that uh, when I was doing an interview for St. Patrick's Day once, that there was a hatred of Irish. Uh, we had a lot of Irish people in, in uh, South Dakota because of the railroads. Um, and, uh, you know, it surprised me because I, I, I wouldn't have thought of that uh, in a million years. But like I say, if we don't look at our history, the fact that that happened in South Dakota, in Sioux Falls, um, we have to, you know, look at ourselves, I guess, a little bit and see have we really learned our lessons on that when we look at what's happening in, in, with anti-Semitism uh, and uh, many strange things today.
1: Well, I I hope that we do learn from our history, John. We do need to know our history to learn from it. Uh, Maybe the listeners of your radio show are aware of it. and It helps us think about our past in a way that guides us to a better future. That's what I hope that a discussion like this leads to.
0: Well, look at the history, uh, look at the good and the bad. Um, and to be able to talk about it, I guess, is, is one thing that they should be bringing this stuff up in the universities and, and discussing this as to, you know, in many sense, there is a correlation to what's happening right now. Talking to John McLaughlin, uh, a former senior professor at University of St. Cloud, you, you've done a, a lot of things, John. Uh, one thing that I think that uh, you've done a lot of work in is uh, special education. I, I wanted to talk to you as an expert on that because that's something that's developed in the last 30 years and changed quite a bit i i know for a fact that back in the 1950s uh people that were um you know people today that actually can work in society back then were housed and closeted um and you know and basically warehoused in places like yankton um and and hosed down uh, was kind of the treatment back then, and and uh, uh, we've come a long ways from that, haven't we?
1: Oh, oh yes, we've you know, we've taken giant strides in in special education and treatment of students, or not just students, children and adults with uh, different abilities and different limitations. We've come a tremendously tremendously far. Thank goodness, uh, you know that maybe. Maybe there's a parallel between our advancement in the treatment of the differently abled, and the other issue that we chatted about—the um, the, the hatred of, of people who are different colors or different yeah. faiths,
0: discrimination—and
1: uh, maybe maybe together these aren't totally different, disparate topics, but they may be more related. As we talk about, I've never thought about it until this moment that the advancement that we've made as a society—we've made lots of advancements, John. As I look at our society today and in my lifetime from the 1950s until today, we've, we've we've really improved our treatment of the environment. We have really improved our treatment of women in our society. We have really, despite difficulties, we have made great advancements in racial relations. Uh, and, and compared to when I was a child, when when my environment was built around uh, water fountains and bathrooms uh, that 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 said for uh, they were not for, uh, for non-white people to to go and to the movie theater in my town, when it had an uh, entrance for African Americans on the side to go to the balcony. Uh, we've we've come a long way on things so that we we've, we've eliminated. We've put a we haven't eliminated, but we've made it. We're trying to end smoking in our society because it's it's bad for society. It's bad for society's health. We've made a lot of strides in that. We don't smoke in restaurants. That's happened in the last 20 years or so here in South Dakota. Uh, we can't smoke in public buildings. Uh, those are those are improvements in our society that we've taken measures toward because they're the right thing to do, To, to, to that everybody deserves protection, regardless of race or faith. Or regardless of, we should be protected against hazardous materials that a corporation or a farm might spread on a field that drains into our water supply. And we should be protected protected from smoking in a restaurant or in a public place that has thoroughly scientifically. Shown negative effects on secondhand smoke. Well, those are good things. You mm-hmm. can get, we can get there with every, everything. We're making a lot of strides in our society. Think of all the, all the childhood diseases we've knocked out in the last fifteen years, fifty years. Uh, it's pretty impressive. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we are living in this wonderful time. Great time to be alive.
0: Well, we, we you know, people would be shocked to see what uh, people with autism were treated like fifty years ago in Sioux Falls. Uh, South oh, Dakota uh, around they were they were put in closets there uh, neighbors didn't even know they had a, a child they, they they were never seen they were warehoused they they uh, again were hosed down uh, some families got together and and started the uh, what is now called uh, life scape uh, back then and uh, that's that's been a, a something that uh, has had been a you know Something that was started by a couple families back in Sioux Falls back then has turned into something now that uh, is, is, is a big educator, you know, influence, uh, economic influence, sure. even in Sioux Falls. But nowadays, people with autism are, are capable of doing so many things. And, you know, like I say, a lot of it is perception. Um, you know, I think uh, <laughs> a lot of us probably have a little bit of autism in, in all of us. I think in a little bit since. But back then, <laughs> back then, it was it was considered, uh, well, just, you know, hide them away. Don't let anyone know, uh, which was quite a shame. But, you know, the fact that that happened, you know, 50 years ago um, in Sioux Falls in South Dakota uh, shows that discrimination, um, you know, can, can have such an effect on it. Uh, whether you're a Catholic or a Jew, or uh, have autism, or uh, anything that's different, I guess, than what people consider the norm, uh, actually, we're in a good time, but we're we're seeing some things kind of change, not for the right direction right now.
1: I think so. I, I look at I look at how we came about to protect children, students, uh, K twelve students in special education. How we how that, evolved, how, how that law evolved, John. It was a, a good example of what how we create better law and we use the federal power and commensurate state power to make sure that children receive the education that they need and are treated with equity and, and justice. That was a long process. As you said, 50 years ago, it didn't exist for, for a lot of children. When the law passed, the the federal law passed in 1975, and it was based upon Brown versus the Board of Education of Topeka, which basically, which we know that separate and equal does not apply in the United States. And Brown was brought about not because all school districts or all states separated children by race. They did not. Many states were fully desegregated before Brown was passed, but many states separated children by race in their schools, and that's why Brown came about. And Brown said "separate but equal" in 1954 was not the law. That law was gone, or that that practice, that Jim Crow practice, was gone. Similarly, the advocates for children with special needs grabbed on to Brown to make a case. That children with special needs could not be separated and had a right to a public education. So the special education law, which was the Education of All Handicapped Children Act, which today we know as IDEA, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, that had its roots in ground and it passed in 1975 on the same legal premise, separate, but equal was not equivalent. It was an access that, that children of color through Brown got access to better facilities and better educational opportunities. Similarly, in '75, children with disabilities gained access to facilities and education. In 1975, when the law was passed, over 2 million children with special needs in this country were refused admission to public education. We don't appreciate that now, and because most people are teaching, very few people are still teaching, and that that were were in the profession prior to the passage of the special education law in '75. But remember, two million kids did not go to school at all. As you called them, they were basement kids. They were in the attics. Uh, they they didn't have any uh, opportunity to to grow or to learn or become more self-sufficient and to begin to be ready to take care of themselves as young adults or when their parents passed away. That was just a reality that state laws allowed a superintendent or a school administrator to refuse admission to a child who might have a handicap, who might be intellectually disabled, who might have a behavioral issue. Those are the kids that wound up getting dismissed and never have an opportunity in the school. After the law was passed in 75, and it was implemented on October 1 of 1977, the world for those kids changed. Those kids suddenly were welcomed into public schools, not only welcomed, the law gave the parents of those children very, very strong abilities to guide and determine what was appropriate for their child in school through the IEP process, the Individualized Educational Plan process. That uh, parents got a say in in what your children were going to receive the education, the therapy, the length of time in the school, all of the things a parent in an IEP process gets to have a say about. If you have a child without a special education need, you don't have that. You don't have that say in public education. But in public education, a family with a child with special needs has a lot, has a very good voice. It's not always implemented. And and as Gerald Ford, who signed that, law said in november of 75 when he signed it this is a very very good law but we don't but i fear that we don't have the resources to implement it and that has been the bane of the law now for almost 50 years uh, it, it's an expensive law
0: john mclaughlin uh, i you know invite people to google and do research um on special needs 1950s uh, how People with autism, for one example, were treated back in the 1950s, were discriminated against. Uh, also, the KKK in Sioux Falls in South Dakota back in, you know, the 1920s. Uh, one thing that I, I find, you know, like I say, history repeats itself. The Klan collapsed in the 1920s. Uh, they were disgraced by scandals at high levels and weakened by a pyramid scheme where their organizers collected the funds. And then abandon the local chapters. That sounds like some things going on in in today's uh, world too. So, um, you know, go back and, and look for yourself um, as far as uh, the history that we have. I, I wouldn't have known that uh, there was discrimination against Irish or against Catholics when I grew up in South Dakota. Um, and it, it's something, John. I think. Uh, um, what's the one thing that you want people to remember?
1: Well, we're making pro- progress. Uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest started the Ku Klux Klan in Pulaski, Tennessee, post the Civil War. It was an oppression. It was a terrorist organization to keep African Americans who had recently been freed from slavery in uh, down uh, to keep their freedoms from ever coming to bear as long as the Klan uh, was very active. But Nathan Bedford Forrest bus was taken out of the capital of Tennessee about 15 years ago, because people protested. He was not a, a hero to many Tennesseans, and it's bust, the bust of them. Bron- uh, I don't know if it's a, it's a bronze bust. I saw it many times in my walking students through the capital of Tennessee. Um, it was taken out, and that's, that's progress. It's, it's not a it is not a erasing of history, but it's a, it's a measurement of history that says, maybe Nathan Bedford Forrest, founder of the Ku Klux Klan, shouldn't be honored in that regard. And since then, we have a museum of lynching in Montgomery, Alabama. that reminds us of our very, very dark history that the Klan brought. And that's, that is a sobering experience to, to attend that museum. It's not far from the Civil Rights Museum in downtown Montgomery, Alabama.
0: And the Holocaust Museum in uh, Washington, D.C., I, I try to go through that in, in uh, Israel, and you can't even make it halfway through. You have to stop. Uh, well, John McLaughlin, I, want
1: to say, go I want to say, John, that the thing the takeaway, away is that we are, we are moving forward. It's not a straight line. There are demagogues in our midst. There are people who disrespect others because of their faith or their color or their income. In general, we're, the line is moving in a positive direction.
0: It keeps moving, that's the thing. Uh, it's good. John McLaughlin. I want to thank you for being with us on Forum.
1: Well, you're so welcome, John. It's a great pleasure to be here, and I look forward to our continuing dialogue on other matters
0: in the future.